Welcome to the Education Marketing Leader Podcast with Chris Raposo. If you're looking to dive into the latest industry insights, draw inspiration from education success stories, or just want to sharpen your marketing skills, you're in the right place. Here, we bring you a diverse range of voices from experts and leaders in the field, offering you a unique blend of professional development and practical strategies. Whether you want to understand your audience better, stay updated with the latest tech trends in marketing, or expand your professional network, we've got you covered. So while you're driving on your morning commute or winding down after a busy day, let's explore the dynamic world of education marketing together. For higher ed marketing professionals listening, what are some of the best practices that you can share to keeping a digital content strategy both flexible and focused? Yeah, my boss is always admonishing me to be nimble. And it is important. Flexibility is important. Um, one tactic I would say um, is crowdsource your campus community. Um, leverage feedback from uh, students and key st- stakeholders. So, you know, sometimes we, you know, we, we, we're quick to put feedback in the discard bin. Um, I always try to make a note of it, process it, evaluate it. And then, you know, like if it's valid, implement the change. Um, and sometimes immediately. So um, I, I would say also that innovation should be data driven. Um, sometimes we lead with our assumptions that should never be the case. If you have a if you have a gut instinct, if you have an assumption, validate it, then proceed. Um, numbers will keep you nimble. Uh, consider a broad range of data points uh, too. That will help you distinguish between trends and anomalies. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Education Marketing Leader with Chris Raposo. Today, I have the pleasure of welcoming Danielle Ford. Danielle, welcome to the show. Uh, Thanks, Chris. Yes, Kane University. Well, thanks so much for joining. I got introduced to you a couple of months ago with one of my fellow EdTech marketers and podcast host, Shira Hattori. So shout out to him. Great episode you had with him. And I figured, hey, why not have Danielle on the show as well to so share some of her insights on content strategy? So Danielle, I did a little bit of research on you on LinkedIn, and I found out that you have a degree in journalism from Rutgers University in New Jersey, and you have been in higher ed marketing at the university since 2010. Can you give us a little bit about a little bit about your background, your journey into higher ed marketing, and your job as the assistant director of digital content strategy? Sure. Um, So my journey, I feel like I took a bit of an indirect route. Um, At Rutgers, I actually double majored in journalism and English. And my college experience was really full of creative experimentation. I did an independent study in theater. I wrote and directed plays, um, wrote a snarky entertainment column that was a little bit uh, Wesley Morris, a little bit team beat for uh, my college newspaper, the Daily Targum. Um, My first role in uh, out of college was a sales role in the technology industry. And that convinced me of um, little more than that marketers were having all the fun. And uh, so I was determined that uh, my career was going to be in marketing. And my first full-time marketing gig was a marketing communications role at LifeSell. The lovely Kate Waxman taught me a lot. I worked on advertising copy, website edits, brochures. 
And one day Kate handed me an HTML handbook and she said, uh, learn this. I don't have time to teach it to you, but um, it'll be valuable. I still have that um, same handbook today. Um, I came to Kane initially as a consultant project managing a full redesign of Kane.edu. And later they brought me on as a marketing strategist, which was a really broad role. I was writing for the alumni magazine, writing press releases and speeches, planning marketing events, developing student-focused marketing campaigns. So my current role as um, assistant director for digital content strategy is a lot more focused because I manage the Kane website, um, which comprises over 4,000 pages of content and our mobile app. Um, I develop content messaging, layouts, um, some digital advertising. And as campus initiatives launch and evolve, I'm developing a web presence for them. I'm communicating their values and developing a visual identity for those projects. And then a big part of my role is also data analysis and SEO, translating analytics and insights into actionable strategy. With higher ed institutions, things are constantly evolving, especially with the looming demographic enrollment cliff, which is especially hitting the Northeast and the Midwestern United States. And we know that with that coming, prior priorities will often shift. So how have you observed these shifts at Kane University and how do they influence your digital content strategy going forward into 2025 and then for the next decade? Yeah, so de declining birth rates are going to correspond to decreased enrollment. Um, some forecasts pre predict declines as a, of, of as much as 15% after 2025. Um, the market is becoming increasingly competitive. But I will say at Kane, we don't view the forecast as that dire. And one of the reasons is New Jersey has already always been an incredibly competitive um, higher education marketplace. And the reason for that is for New Jersey has long exported more college students than any other state, state in the nation. So um, because, you know, like we have quite a few um, big name universities in New Jersey competing for a relatively small um, pool of students, um, it's Kane has always been punching far above our weight class. Um, so this year we have the second consecutive year of record enrollment at Kane. So I think when we look toward the future, um, you know, our view is incredibly optimistic. Um, one of the reasons for that um, is that a significant percentage of our students are first gen. Um, currently, our students come from 82 countries and 35 states, so we're one of the most diverse um, universities in the nation. Um, Kane, I think when it comes to enrollment, we're, we're looking more at kind of maintaining those record numbers. We just surpassed 17,000 and also um, establishing, our, establishing ourselves as a research presence in the region. Um, we're aggressively pursuing R2 status. And I think with that will come, you know, a whole new audience and a whole new caliber of student to the university. Your student demographics, are they mostly traditional age students or do you have non-traditional students, adult learners? Can you tell us a little bit more, more about that? Yeah, I'd say um, that it, most of our students are traditional age students, but we are, um, there's an increased emphasis on our online programs hmm. and our, our online programs are being expanded to um, include unique pathways for students um, age 25 and above that are going to factor in, that are going to allow them to use professional experience and life experience toward college credit. Um, so those programs are being developed, but I think that's definitely a, a growing part of our audience and target market. Every time you make a switch, you might you got to make sure that different departments are aligned. So can you walk us a little bit? Can you walk us through the process that you undertake to align your digital content strategy with Kane University's changing institutional priorities? What's what's what do you guys do there? Yeah, so I'm part 
of a department that includes creative, marketing, and advertising, video, media relations, and alumni engagement. Um, our leadership team meets weekly to discuss ideas and strategy and discuss institutional priorities and needs. Um, our department has really strong leadership. I report directly to Karen Smith, Vice President of University Relations and Alumni Affairs. And so Karen oversees all the university's marketing, advertising, and media relations. Alignment is less of a challenge when there's consistent cross-channel messaging and productive cross-functional collaboration. Um, so we also collaborate really closely with research and academic affairs. And Kane President Lamont Repilette's overarching visit, vision for the future of the university, it's really apparent in our branding and messaging. So there's a synergy of purpose and product that's achieved. And since you're meeting on a weekly basis, it, that, that helps open the dialogue. You know, if you just uh, meet once a quarter or every six months, then there may be a, a disconnect in silos built. Have you faced any challenges achieving alignment in the past and how have you overcome them? Did you have to, you know, was there a time where you didn't read on a weekly basis to keep that rapport open? And what did you do about that? Um, I guess one challenge that we faced um, over the years is um, just different shifts and changes in leadership. Um, I think uh, Karen has been with our department about six years now um, and has brought really focused um, leadership and vision um, during her entire tenure. So that's definitely been an advantage. Um, I've gone through periods where I didn't have uh, like a direct uh, supervisor. Um, that was definitely a challenge, um, trying to um, contribute um, when you're kind of a uh, an orphan on a team, um, sort in a sort of speak. Uh, you know, um, I think when it comes to alignment, um, we have more um, assets than liabilities, and uh, one of our main assets is a highly collaborative structure. So we don't work in silos. Um, our projects um, are really collaborative. Um, I'm working with creative on the visuals. I'm working um, with video on how to incorporate their content into our site in meaningful ways, um, working with media relations on highlighting their news content throughout the site so that um, it stays current and timely and interesting. So yeah, I think collaboration is kind of the antidote to um, misalignment. Yeah, you with your journalism degree, you know the importance of being timely with your messaging to get the most out of it. Can you tell us a little bit about your department? How many people are in the department? Uh, yeah, so um, the Department of University Relations, there are about 20 people. 20. Um, the web team, uh, I am a team of one. I do have a student assistant, and there are two other staffers who support me on an ad hoc project basis. So once you start aligning your content strategy with the institutional priorities that you discuss during your weekly meetings, how do you measure its effectiveness? What metrics, KPIs do you use and what are those priorities? Yeah, so um, there's quite a few. Um, I think uh, one of the measurements that we definitely use, I mean, we try, at Kane, we have a culture of data-driven innovation. And, you know, to support that, um, you know, there's a lot of data analysis that's involved. Um, we invest heavily in usability testing and UX research. So I think um, quantifying the user experience in those ways helps us to identify and eliminate UX pain points and anti-patterns. And we definitely place a lot of emphasis on functionality, navigability, ease of use. Um, these things often distinguish a website even more than design. And um, so I think one of the metrics we look at is kind of time to completion. 
um, when we're testing, we're uh, a lot of our testing is task-based and we're looking at the time it takes our users to complete various tasks. We're trying to keep that task, uh, that time to a minimum um, just to ensure that important information is readily accessible. Um, we're also um, recently, we shifted to a more conversion focused model. Um, I think, you know, like uh, that's definitely our priority. We're looking at conversions. Um, some of our core conversions are um, applications, but also um, requests for information and mm -hmm. campus visits. Uh, campus visits convert at a really high rate. So do interactions with um, admissions counselors. So, you know, like we're trying to um, connect our students with a counselor as soon as possible um, because those interactions are one of the biggest determining factors of college decisions. Yeah, I mean, I went I went to school as an adult learner uh, and I did the online program at the University of Florida. And I cannot tell you the importance of having a good academic advisor on staff that just keeps you going, right? Because um, a lot of these students, they face adversities from the outside. Life gets busy with work and with family. And to have somebody, a trusted counselor and advisor, that definitely helps also with retention, right? Which also is very important for the overall health of the organization. Because I heard somebody say, we don't, we don't recruit students, we recruit alumni. So when they come into our institutions, we want to make sure they go all the way through and graduate and then get the return on investment, have a good experience, refer us to their friends and family down the road. Um, so as you, there's a lot going on with AI right now, generative AI, JAD GPT, this sort of a commoditization of content out there. Everybody's a an editor and everybody's a content producer now. It just a, it just takes a couple of prompts for somebody to spit out a, a blog post. So how do you anticipate content needs changing in the future based on generative AI, the commoditization of the content and the looming demographic enrollment cliff? What shifts do you see coming in the future to make sure that your key stakeholders, your target audiences, see your messaging, resonate with it, and it doesn't get lost. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we're already leveraging AI in interesting ways at Kane. Um, one of the most impactful, I would say, is um, I'm a fan of chatbots. Um, I think chatbots are really helpful in the admissions process. Mm. Um, I think uh, that kind of tech, it it really kind of anticipates what the human response would be. And there's uh, such a strong correlation between these AI-generated um, you know, customer responses and um, to various prompts and, you know, like what a human user um, would um, provide. Um, mm. So in terms of like level of service, um, and cost, you know, like that's a really effective model. Um, when it comes to content, um, I, I don't, I think that, you know, humans, you know, we haven't been replaced yet. Um, it's definitely, there's a lot to be said for um, the creativity and the collaboration that comes from a creative marketing team. Mm -hmm. um, I think there are ways to kind of leverage generative AI for efficiency um, and maybe as an ideation tool. Um, that's how I sometimes use it for brainstorming. It's interesting to see like the variety of responses that you get and also how when you kind of drill down a little bit more and um, provide more granular queries and mm -hmm. data points, um, how much more um, kind of just relevant the, the replies become. 
Um, so I think we've done a lot of content about AI as opposed to using AI for content creation. Uh, we have a podcast, the Urban Impact Podcast, um, which uh, the producer is our um, director of marketing and advertising and then our video content director. And um, two of our um, uh, academics um, host the series, um, including um, our SVP, um, Mike Salvatore and um, Barbara George Johnson. Um, so, you know, like on the Urban Impact podcast, we've had quite a few episodes about AI and the implications of the technology. Um, you know, it's definitely um, all the buzz in the industry right now is about AI. Um, but I think when we're thinking about content, we're thinking more about authenticity. Mm -hmm. And something that's really grounded in campus experience, yeah. right? Because it's like digital experience is one thing, but it's really important that digital experience aligns with campus experience. So um, I think that, you know, like that's another reason that visits are one of our core conversions. When when students enter this environment, it's an academic environment that's that's rigorous and challenging, but it's also a warm family-like culture. Uh -huh. And, you know, a beautiful park-like campus um, that goes all the way back to 1855. So I think, you know, uh, it's <laughs> digital experiences are not going to replace in-person experiences anytime soon. So I think as, as a creator of digital experiences, I'm always thinking about the human element. I'm mm -hmm. always thinking about marketing the, the in-person experience. And I think that because our brand is grounded in that kind of authenticity and our message, our message really resonates with um, our audiences. Yeah. And then you want to be able to, to showcase that on-campus experience through um, student spotlights, for example, and just to share how life is on Kane University for real, not just on a stock photo. So yeah. having, having those brand ambassadors speak on video or showing those pictures, or even having those interactive maps. If you're not, if you're from out of state or from out of country and you can't tour before you <laughs> make the commitment to see what you're signing up for. But I have to agree, when I went to the University of uh, Florida online, every once in a while, I lived in Tampa at that time, but every once in a while I drove to Gainesville to step foot on campus, it was about two hours away. And the more I did that, the more, um, a connection I made with the place, the more of a school pride I developed. Because if I'm just logging into the online portal all the time, finishing my courses, there isn't the same connection there as when I actually go in there and immerse myself in the institutional environment and just be around other students, even if they're 20 years younger than me. But you're still in there as a student, you know, and you built that affinity for the for the organization. Yeah, I like the point you made earlier, Chris, about recruiting alumni, because huh. retention is definitely an institutional priority at Kane. Um, I think uh, I mentioned that a lot of our students are first generation. Um, so we're not just concerned about recruiting students. We're concerned about um, retaining and graduating them, providing viable pathways to um, long term success. And I, I think when we think about that, advisement is a core piece of that. Um, one of the projects I'm working on right now is for the president's ad advisory um, task force. And so there's been a lot of assessment that has been done of um, advising at Kane and of um, what the student experience is like when it comes to advisement and what kind of support resources are we providing for our students. And so highlighting those initiatives, you know, like those are content streams that are like really valuable and relevant because um, students want to know, okay, like um, what kind of tools and what kind of resources are available to me that are going to help me along my journey 
um, you know, they want to um, get a sense of community, but also a sense of of resources. Um, because you know, if our students are under resourced, mm-hmm. um, they are going to struggle throughout. Yeah, that's so true. And there, there's also a bit of a it's a bit scary when you're the first one in your family to go to university and nobody's done it before you, so you're that that outlier, and everybody's either looking at you and putting a lot of pressure on you for being that that one who made that that leap to the next level or there may be some maybe jealousy involved by siblings by people that didn't make it there so having that support from the institution is very important and um i remember i, I the first two years i went to community college and there was a um i had to go on campus to do like a campus tour and I remember at the end of the campus tour at this particular um, campus, the president came in or the, the the dean of the of the university or college. And he said we were it was a Saturday morning with like seven people in there, everybody either first generation or adult learner because Saturday morning they worked. And we just sat there on our at our table. And this guy said, look to your left and to your right two out of three are not going to graduate. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, this is horrible. You know, because first of all, you make that step to go to university. It's a big step for you. It's kind of, kind of scary. And then this guy comes in and tells you, you're probably not going to make it. I I hate those stories. My sister had a similar experience and there's nothing wrong with a program that's rigorous and challenging, right? That is our intent. But you also should provide support because you're, you're, uh, I think at Kane, one of the things that distinguishes our culture is that every staffer has a vested interest in student success, Mm -hmm. right? So we're not looking at any of our kids like you're not going to make it. No, the view is we want all of you to make it. How can we help you make it? I think also when we think about first-generation students, we have to recognize that there's a vocabulary to academia that not everyone is familiar with. So how can we make that language more accessible? And we need to translate for them at times. Not everyone knows what an undergraduate is. Not everyone knows what a registrar is. You know, if your parents did not attend university, those terms may not be familiar. Um, As part of our commitment to accessibility, recently I um, spearheaded a project um, that translated k.edu into Spanish. Um, leveraging um, with a mandate from from Karen and leveraging a technology, an AI technology that supports both ma- machine translation, um, but also um, uses AI for um, to leverage multiple glossaries. Um, we translate a cane.edu into Spanish, and then um, also not only is the entire website available in Spanish, but also a significant, some of our video library. Um, so um, the college tour came was featured on um, an episode of Am- the Amazon series, the college tour, but we were also one of the first universities to participate in the college tour in Espanol. So that was filmed, I think um, 10 or more episodes with student ambassadors from, you know, many different countries, um, just highlighting the, the campus experience, but fully in Spanish. So I think um, in accessibility, whether it's, whether it's translating jargon or, oh. or or translating, you know, like into, um, because I think overall our goal is to have the language accessible. Um, so it's like, we're never watering it down. Some of our content is academic in nature. Um, but when it comes to our marketing content, that's always written in a way that even a parent um, who doesn't have um, a degree um, would be able to like really understand um, like next steps for their student, but also the value proposition of a cane degree. Yes, that, that, that is so important to have that accessibility and, and speak in a language that people understand because 
when I went to school, I I did it part time so I could pay out of out of pocket. And I remember the first couple of times I was like, where do I pay? Like I didn't know where to pay. And and I'll Google it and it says look for Bursa Bursa office. I'm like I don't I never heard the word Bursa before, so I didn't know what that was. So they they never clicked like oh this is what you pay. So um, you know making that understandable as well to know how people can pay their tuition fees uh, is very important as well. Um, it sounds like you're very flexible over there with the content on on the Canadian side because you translated everything in Spanish, which is a big undertaking. For higher ed marketing professionals listening, what are some of the best practices that you can share to keeping a digital content strategy both flexible and focused? Yeah, my boss is always admonishing me to be nimble, and it is important. Flexibility is important. Um, one tactic I would say um, is crowdsource your campus community. Um, leverage feedback from uh, students and key st stakeholders. So you know, sometimes we you know we, we we're quick to put feedback in the discard bin. Um, I always try to make a note of it, process it, evaluate it, and then you know, like if it's valid, implement the change. Um, and sometimes immediately. So um, I, I would say also that innovation should be data driven. Um, sometimes we lead with our assumptions that should never be the case. If you have a if you have a gut instinct, if you have an assumption, validate it, then proceed. Um, um, numbers will keep you nimble. Uh, consider a broad range of data points uh, too. That will help you distinguish between trends and anomalies. Mm. Yeah, that that is a, that is such a good point because we all all got our unconscious biases and we think, well, this is this has got to be correct. If I think it is correct, uh, if, if if I think that is the way to go, then it, it, it probably is. But you always want to seek counsel from other professionals in the industry as well as getting the data. From your analytics, for example, like I, I recently wrote a wrote a white paper for Hannon Hill on the demographic enrollment cliff and the marketing shift towards non-traditional students, and I I made sure I reached out to about ten higher ed marketers and send them my table of contents just to make sure is this stuff that I'm about to cover relevant to you, because it seems relevant to me. But if you don't care about what's in there, and you're my key audience, then I might as well don't even start or or change things up um, so we don't waste our time uh, in both ways as the writer and as the reader. Um, but as we get the episode to a close and we touched on AI a little bit already, but looking ahead, how do you see the landscape of fire at marketing and content strategy evolve? And what is some of the advice that you give other hired professionals that aim to stay ahead of the curve? Yeah. Um, one, um, I would say to um, that messaging should be grounded in reality, market truths, market realities. Um, recently, we did some usability testing um, comparing Kane.edu to a direct competitor. And three out of five students preferred Kane, the Kane brand to our competitor's brand. They said Kane seemed really genuine and to offer more of a community. They also talked about how they like the institutional culture and the humor and um, said that, you know, like described a warm family-like atmosphere. Now that is how we feel about our campus culture, but I was, I was delighted to hear that it came across. And I think one of the reasons it, it connects is because it's rooted in this authenticity. Um, so that was really validating for me, but it also underscored something that over a decade in marketing has taught me. You can't sell who you're not. So if what you have is rigor and excellence and you're talking warmth and family, talk about rigor and excellence. You know, at Kane, we have both. You know, we have an innovation-driven research culture, 
But there's also a warm family-like environment uh, where every staffer has a vested interest in student success. So when we speak to that, to that, um, we speak to those points and we illustrate that cultural culture visually in imagery and with video, then it's really com- compelling because nothing's more compelling than the truth. That is that is that is such a fact. You want to make sure you got the right people in the door um, in order to create an environment that is authentic to your institution as well as to that person that there's a good blend. If not, then, you know, you have the transfers or you have the people that have some college, but no degree because they couldn't mesh with where they were with the culture. So it's very important. It's not just about, it's like an ed tech, right? If you get a client in and he, he or she doesn't use your product and they churn over time and then have a bad experience and tell their friends about your company about the bad experience, it just leaves a bad taste in everybody's mouth that's involved. So better know ahead of time what you're getting yourself into and relaying that with your messaging. So Danielle, thank you so much for your time today, for all your insights that you shared. If people want to get in touch with you to learn more about digital strategy and content for higher ed, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Sure. You can reach me um, at LinkedIn. Uh, my LinkedIn is uh, linkedin.com slash Danielle Denise Ford. Very good. And I'll be sure to tag you in the recap. Okay, great. All right, Danielle, thank you so much for being a part of this show. And I hope you have a good day. You too, Chris. It's been a pleasure. All right. All right.